Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Window Seat, the podcast of Augustana University's International Programs Office. We hope that the winter break was restorative for you and that you're ready for a great interim. I'm your host, Heather Reed, and for the month of January, we want to shift our focus to honor the magic that is study abroad here at Augie. For decades, J-Term has been a time of adventure and growth through learning off campus and abroad. In recent years, in general, between 150 and 200 Augustana students leave campus for a study away experience. And typically, along with our students, more than a dozen Augustana faculty members lead our students on unique and life-changing journeys. But we live in COVID times, and not surprisingly, study away for this interim is canceled, which is a wise decision. So to honor the learning opportunities that have been and will be, this month, the window seat shifts to study away. Today, you'll be pleased to notice that Aaron Kane, Augustana's extraordinary study abroad advisor, conducts today's interview. She is joined by Dr. Patrick Hicks, a dual citizen of Ireland and America, and is an English professor and the writer-in-residence at Augustana University. Dr. Hicks has led many Augie study abroad courses over the years and looks forward to many more in the future. A true believer in the power of travel's ability to transform a person's perspective and life path for the better, Dr. Hicks shares his own multicultural adventures. So without further ado, please learn from the experience of another with Dr. Hicks. I'm joined today with Dr. Patrick Hicks. He is Augustana University's writer in residence and also a faculty in the English department. We're excited to hear more about his story. Dr. Hicks, would you introduce yourself to us? Uh, sure thing. Um, and you know, Patrick Hicks, I'm originally from Stillwater, Minnesota, and I've been at Augustana now for 18 years. Um, it's gone quickly, and I've really enjoyed it. I, I lead uh, a number of study abroad programs. I think I've done about 15 at this point in time. Awesome. So when you think about your story and how you got to this point in your life, both what you study, but where you studied, yeah. what kinds of things do you, do you want people to know about you growing up and your education story? Well, I really appreciate being on this podcast because I suspect that um, I guess my backstory w with internationalism is something that maybe most people aren't aren't sort of aware of. But I'm the child of an immigrant. My mother's originally from Northern Ireland, and um, she and my uncle and my nana and grandpa they immigrated to Montreal in 1955. Um, and my mother really didn't take to Montreal at all. So as soon as she graduated from high school, she immediately went straight back to Belfast. And she lived there for a number of years. So this meant that when I was a kid, I spent most of my summers in Montreal. So um, my very first memories as a kid are of getting on a plane. And um, I don't physically remember having a passport, but surely I did have one from the earliest age that I could be. So I spent my summers in, in Montreal, and it was a wonderful experience being with my, my, uh, my Irish grandparents in Montreal, surrounded by the French language, and the food was a little bit different, and television was different, and um, I, it, it was just normal life for me. But I realized that I, when I look back on this, that it had a profound seismic influence on me to go to another country every single summer of my childhood. Yeah, when you think back about that, it probably felt so normal at the time. Like, that was just your summer. That's just what you did. Yeah. 
But now when you compare it to maybe a summer in the United States or maybe the summer your your own son is having, what yeah. would you say is different? Uh, it, it, it certainly changed how I look at things. I mean, still to this day, the summer of 2020 is the first summer in maybe 30 years that I haven't traveled internationally. It's like when it's when it, when June rolls around, I'm I'm itching to get on a plane and go to another country. So um, that that has deeply influenced me. Um, and uh, you know, I'm the son of an immigrant, but I got an Irish passport when I was 22 or 23 years old. So I lived in Europe for seven years. My wife is British. My son was adopted from South Korea. Um, so there's all of these sort of aspects of internationalism that are just a part of my life and I don't think about them on a hourly or even daily basis but still they're there I mean um, I'm, I'm fully aware of uh, Brexit is about to happen and uh, we have this second strain of COVID that has appeared in England and you know I'm seeing this from the perspective of someone who has loved ones in England and Northern Ireland right now um, and that's just normal for me but I guess from an outsider's perspective it seems um, maybe odd. Would you say the more you travel and the more you participate or engage in places other than your own, the smaller the world seems to become? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I know that, uh, you know, spending summers in Montreal gave me an aware, uh, it made me aware of Canada and it made me aware of bilingualism because, you know, I, I never learned French. I kind of wish that my mom had kind of pushed me into French, you know, summer school, but that never happened. Um, <laughs> it's one of those things I'd appreciate as an adult, but maybe not quite as much when I was a kid, I suppose. Um, but the first time that I went to Northern Ireland, I was 16. And this was when Northern Ireland, the, the troubles were happening, you know, bombs were going off, political assassinations, um, political violence between Catholics and Protestants. Um, so I, you know, that happened when I was 16. And for, you know, a white kid from a river town in Minnesota to suddenly see this vortex of political violence and to be surrounded by it, that was that was a huge awakening for me. Um, I'd been sort of abstractly aware of Northern Ireland when I was uh, growing up as a, as a kid because we had family, of course, in Montreal, but I had my extended family in, in Belfast. So, you know, but I'm five, seven years old, you know, eight, ten years old, and I'm watching the nightly news, and there's, you know, footage of a bomb going off in Belfast. And depending on where that bomb went off, you know, my mom would get on the phone just, just to make sure, you know, because you never know who might be driving at that point in time and maybe they'd be unlucky. So the world felt really small for me when I was growing up, you know, because what was happening on the nightly news could directly affect um, people I love. Yeah, I have a feeling that will resonate with some of our international students as oh, they're yeah. here studying and their families are back home in different, in different political situations and experiencing things like that. I have a, I have great admiration, respect, and I have a, a soft a soft spot for our international students because um, I do know what they're going through because I I did a degree in Northern Ireland I got my PhD in England so I was an international student for many years so I know what it's like to miss home I know what it's like to be excited about being someplace new but also pining for home especially during the holidays um, yeah so. Um, whenever I have an international student in my class, I feel like uh, I feel a little more protective, you know? 
Yeah. We appreciate that. We feel the same. Yes. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit more about your, your journey through education? Sure. Um, when I went to Northern Ireland when I was 16, uh, I went with my mom. Um, she, I have two younger sisters, and when each of us turned 16, we went to Northern Ireland for about a month. And this meant meeting relatives that I'd heard of but hadn't had a chance to meet. Um, but it also meant that um, uh, my mom took me to London for the first time. Um, this is going to be sort of a longer answer, but I promise I'll get to answering yeah. your question. Uh, and, you know, I'd been to Minneapolis and St. Paul. You know, I'd been to the Chicago airport. Of course, I'd seen Montreal, but nothing prepared me for London. We arrived in the airport, and then we took the tube to Piccadilly Circus, and I still, if I close my eyes, I can still see that moment when we exit Piccadilly Circus and we enter London's equivalent of Times Square with lights and traffic and noise and people dressed in ways I'd never seen before and all of these languages which I'd never heard of before and there was this energy about the city. And I just remember standing there at the age of 16 and just being blown away by the vibrancy of that, that particular city. And we were there for about five days and we saw everything you'd expect um, someone to see in London, you know, <laughs> changing the guard at Buckingham Palace, Westminster Abbey, the Tower of London, Hampton Court, you know, all of these phenomenal things. And the reason I'm telling you this story, Aaron, is I remember so clearly being on the train going back to Heathrow uh, Airport to fly back to Northern Ireland. And I remember just not wanting to leave London. I was 16 years old and I promised myself that I would get back to London. And when I got back to the United States at the age of 16 and I started my, must have been what, my junior year of high school, um, my parents say that I just became a different human being because I started to really care about my grades because I realized if I want to study abroad in London, I got to get good enough grades to get into a university. So um, I, I, I was really good at English in high school, but that was pretty much it. But I, when, I, when I started to look around for undergraduate institutions, one of the things that was really important to me was a study abroad program in London that lasted a semester. And I did that my junior year. And it was, it was an amazing experience. Do you remember some of the courses you took that semester? Um, I, I, yes, the answer is yes, but I remember the professors more yeah. because I did it, uh, the study abroad I did as an undergraduate, there were 25 of us from the institution that I went to. And we hired out a house that we all lived in, um, in um, Little Venice. For anyone that knows London well, it's near the Warwick Avenue tube stop, which still feels like home to me. And then just up the road, there was a school. So we had hired professors, individual professors to teach us. So we had a professor that was affiliated with Oxford teaching us about religion uh, in, in Britain. We had Another professor that was a part of the Royal Institute of Art who was teaching us about, you know, the, the types of art that was in Britain. And then often we'd go and we'd actually see the thing. So it was one thing to be in class and to study it. And then we're like, okay, well, let's go see the, 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 the Turner that we were just talking about at the Royal Institute of Art. And I mean, that was mind-blowing. It was just such a, an amazing experience. So I'm going to fast forward yeah. and then come back. Sure. Because what you said makes me curious. I imagine you remember that feeling or just that thought process or your, your mind opening up during some of those experiences. 
Yeah. Have you witnessed that with some of the students you've taken abroad when, when you get to a certain place and it's all kind of clicking and coming together? Because you've learned about a thing in a book or you've talked about it from an essay and then there you are seeing it. Yeah. Um, I love this question because I, I think that at the core of why I am so passionate about study abroad is that it allows me to become a teacher of the very experiences that were so foundational and transformative for me as a student when I was an undergraduate. Um, and I really do love that moment, say, when we're in London. And I know that when we turn the corner of this street, there's Big Ben. And we're, and we're about to turn that corner, and the students don't know it's there. And then they turn the corner, and they're like, oh my god, the cameras come out. And I don't look at Big Ben. I'm looking at my students, because they're seeing this icon. Or if we're studying um, the Troubles in Northern Ireland and we go to the city of Derry where um, Bloody Sunday happened um, and we give a lecture, we give a, a lecture where it happened and you can point and say, this is where the British soldier you know, killed someone and the riots started up that street. See that pub there? That's where this happened. I mean, that is an educational experience unlike any other. So you spent your semester abroad. You came back and finished your undergrad here yep. in the States. What's next? <laughs> well, I knew I wanted to be a writer, but I didn't know how to support myself because um, there's, no, there's no plan for that. I mean, if you want to become a doctor or a lawyer in America, I'm not saying those things are easy, but it's an illuminated path. But to become a writer, I mean, <laughs> you have to figure that out on your own. So I decided, well, I seem to have some talent for teaching, and I like the classroom. So I thought, well, maybe, maybe I could just stay in college for the rest of my life. Maybe I could become a college professor, and colleges could pay me to, to stay in college. That seemed like a pretty good idea. So that meant I had to get um, the required degrees that I needed. So I moved to Chicago for two years, which was an amazing American experience, the big, vibrant city, the city of big shoulders. And while I was there, I took some courses on Irish literature uh, in graduate school, and I became an Irish citizen while I was there. And I got my Irish passport almost on a lark. I, you know, I found out I could get it, and it cost, I don't know, 60 or 65 bucks at the time. And I thought, well, why not have it? You know, it'll be kind of a fun thing to talk about at parties. You know, guess what? I'm an Irish citizen. <laughs> but something really weird happened, um, and not all surprising when I when I think back on it. When the passport arrived in the mail. I looked at I looked at it, the purple passport with the Irish harp on it, and I realized that I was holding this key to a gateway to to new lives, not a new life, new lives. I was like, well, this means I can live and work anywhere in Europe. That's a part of the EU. And once I realized that, um, <laughs> the the plan was to go to Northern Ireland for one year and then return to the states, but I stayed over there for seven years. And, and moved around. I, was in, I lived in Germany for a while. Um, I lived in England for four years while I finished my PhD. Um, I met my wife in, in England, and she actually had a job in Barcelona, Spain at the time. So um, I had a choice of either moving back to the United States and starting my career as a college professor or moving to Barcelona and seeing if this woman I was just crazy about is someone I should marry. So I did the only thing, the only sensible thing you can do in a situation like that. I decided to put my career on hold for a year and I moved to Barcelona. 
and we got married in England, and my my wife is now here in Sioux Falls, South Dakota with me. Mm-hmm. And she also holds another passport, correct? Uh, yes, she does. She became an American citizen just uh, four months ago. That's exciting. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so my wife is British and American. I'm American and Irish. Our son is American. And he can have a variant of the Korean passport. It doesn't give him full citizenship, but he can get that. And I recently applied for him to become an Irish citizen as well. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe your, your students that you've had in class, they might be curious to know, what kind of college student were you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I certainly didn't go to things called parties on Friday. You know, I was always in the library or the chapel. Um, What kind of college student was I? It'd be interesting if some of my friends from college were here to answer that question. And maybe maybe I'll try to do it from from their perspective. I think they would say that I was a hard worker. I I also played hard. Um, I had fun but I was singularly devoted to literature. I just was, uh, just everything was about literature and writing for me. Um, and uh, I, I really focused very much on that. And the other courses that I took at my liberal arts institution, I, I wasn't, a, I wasn't a, a stellar student in some of those classes. Um, I have no shame in saying that I got a, a C minus in calculus, which was a, that was a Christmas present. I'm sure that I actually got a D or maybe a D minus, but I still remember she gave me a C minus. Um, I got a D plus in a theology course. Um, so you know, I wasn't I wasn't an amazing student, and and I don't know why I'm saying this, but I guess I'm happy that I'm saying it because maybe I'm good proof that um, you can fall down in college. And just because the trajectory, I, I, I think it's very safe to say that some college professors that had me just would never believe that I would become a college professor. But yet here I am. Yeah, I think that's important for students to know. I think their own expectation is usually much higher than what reality needs to be. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we all shine in certain ways. We all have uh, different types of superpowers. So although I didn't do well in some classes, I was the very first student at my university to graduate with honors in English. And, you know, I'm proud of that. Yeah. So liberal arts can be a new concept for some of our students, even though some of those courses might have been hard or not your, your thing, let's say. What, <laughs> yeah. what did you learn from having to take classes outside of your area of interest? Um, well, it opened the horizons for me because I was exposed to um, certainly in the case of you know different types of books and cultures. I remember I took a J-term course on Japanese pottery um, and I took it because I needed a course like that to graduate. Um, and it was really fascinating to learn about Japanese culture through pottery, which I, it was just really interesting sort of class discussions. Uh, so. I appreciated that I was put into classes that maybe I wouldn't have fully embraced, but it certainly changed me. And I'll give you a more concrete example. I took a sociology course um, because I had to, and it just blew open the doors of my imagination to such a point that I I was only one course away from being a sociology minor um, because I realized that sociology helped me to see how humans interact with each other, which as a writer is like vital, yeah? 
Um, the same with, uh, you know, history courses that I took, because uh, history is just a story that happened, and I'm interested in stories that didn't happen. That's all that fiction is. So it was transformative in that way. So uh, I think uh, liberal arts, it increases who you are. And I think it's important for me to say this, um, even though I feel like I've been talking too long in this particular um, question you've asked, Aaron. But when my wife and I got married, uh, we had a choice to make. Uh, are we going to live in the UK or are we going to live in the US? And we made a long list of pluses and minuses for both, for both cases. But what tipped the scales um, ultimately was the huge difference between America and Britain when it comes to education. Because in the United Kingdom, they don't have anything like Augustana. They don't have the liberal arts. Um, in the UK, and this, in, this includes Oxford and Cambridge, you go to school for three years and you focus on your major and you, you're not gonna be encouraged to take other courses. And I, I taught in the United Kingdom uh, for one year. And I was, and these were really incredible students when it came to literature, but when I, when I pushed them in these other areas like philosophy, theology, history, they weren't quite there. So I, I mean this sincerely that uh, when you come to a place like Augustana that has the liberal arts, you get a better education here than you would at Oxford or Cambridge. And I mean that sincerely. Um, I, I've staked my, my professional career on it. That's why I'm here and not in the United Kingdom. Mm -hmm. that's, that's how passionately I believe in the liberal arts. Yeah, that's, a, that's big. Yeah. So I, I wanna know when you spend so much time in a country that, that isn't your home country, you start to learn things about your home country. Some things you appreciate, some things you don't. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. you can start to kind of see, see from the outside in. Um, what was that experience like living so long outside of the United States? I think it helps people understand their, their home countries a little bit better, but also it may change your perception of what you think it is right um, and, and what you believe in. Yeah. Um, you can see I'm trying to figure out how to navigate answering this question. <laughs> Could, not, because it's, uh, not because I'm worried about being insensitive, but there's so many different sort of avenues that I, I could take. I mean, living in Northern Ireland during the Troubles gave me a, a that was a huge awakening for me politically. It, it changed my politics uh, very, very, very much. Um, and then when I lived in these other places, especially when I think of Germany, that has this really amazing social net and Germany takes care of its citizens just so well, you know, that, that challenged me to think of how things operate in the United States. Um, but you're absolutely right. When you are outside of the United States and looking back at your home country, you do see the, the brighter colors um, a little better, and you also see the darkness um, a little more clearly than, than you would if you were to stay here. And I know that our international students are having the exact the same experience when they are here at Augustana and they're looking back at their countries of, I don't know, China, Norway, um, Korea, South Africa, you know, wherever they happen to come from. And that is one of the great gifts about being an outsider in another country is that you begin to see where you came from with much greater clarity and perception. And I don't think that ever leaves you after you come home. Right. And it also helps you realize the things that you appreciate, 
too. Yeah. So when you were gone for seven years, what what did you miss most about the United States? <laughs> uh, the people is is the first and most obvious and the most correct answer. I, I just I just missed my family and my friends. Um, I missed the reliable disappointment of the Minnesota Vikings losing season after season after season. Um, I missed baseball. I missed the weather. You know, I missed I missed winter. I missed severe thunderstorms. I missed um, uh, simple things like types of food that you can get in the United States that you can't get elsewhere, like peanut butter and mac and cheese and and things like that. But, um, I also missed the um, optimism that I, I see in America, and I have some problems with this, you know, American optimism. It's not a totally positive thing, but the the way that America tends to look at the future with um, with with hope is something that I find really admirable. Um, equally, I think America does a really lousy job at looking at its past. Um, so again, there's to, to your point, Aaron, about things that you might not have noticed had had you not had you not left. Um, but now, of course, and I guess this is inevitable for me to say now that I've been living back in the United States for 18, 19 years, there are things that I miss desperately about London, that I miss about Barcelona, that I miss about Germany, that I miss about Ireland. Um, and this is the problem, not the problem. This is the um, natural result of falling in love with another country you never fully come home and you never fully leave one thing i ask our semester students when they return from their study abroad experience is if you could choose one thing from the culture from your experience that you just had and implement it into american culture what would you choose oh what a great question um, you know, I'm not going to overthink this. This is the first thing that popped into my mind. So maybe it's the thing that I need to say. When I was living in Barcelona um, with my, my well, now wife, then girlfriend, we were living in sin. Um, <laughs> the thing that we both loved so much about Barcelona is that city grinds to a halt on Sunday. Um, so you can go to church if you want, but otherwise it's just family day. And, and what you do is you walk around Barcelona, most of the stores are closed except for, you know, obviously restaurants and bars. And you spend Sunday with your loved ones drinking wine, eating olives, looking at the Mediterranean Ocean, you're just strolling around. Uh, Las Ramblas is, you know, the, the big street where a lot of that can happen. Walking through the Barragatico, the old quarter, and no one's in a real hurry to do anything. You're just with people that you enjoy, you laugh with, you, you have a good meal. and I thought, man, this, I, this is a country I can get on board with. Yeah, it's a very common answer from our students too, is just time. Yeah, They felt like the last four to six months of their life had so much more of it. Yes. They come here, they come back, and they try to readjust to this scheduled, specific lifestyle of get things done, be here at a certain time. And they just want to go back to a little <laughs> bit more time. Yes, I, I know exactly how they feel. And, you know, that's something that maybe we'd be wise to sort of adopt from not just different countries, but, you know, different cultures, because we have a, a very vibrant Hispanic population in America that, that does, does this already. 
um, our, um, our, our neighbors on, in Pine Ridge, they have a, a, a different and perhaps a more fluid concept of time, which I think is, is healthier, quite frankly. So these things already exist in America, but they're not um, amplified as much. Mm-hmm. One thing we do before our study abroad students leave is talk about reentry. And nobody believes me when, when they go <laughs> that it's going to be harder to come back and readjust yeah. to this new place. Um, it's your old place, but now it's your new place because you're seeing it differently. Do you feel like that is something you have had to deal with too? Like going and living somewhere for seven years, but then returning, which was harder? Um, re-entry is a thing. Yeah. It's hard. <laughs> and I, I tell students the same thing, and I don't think they believe me either, Aaron. <laughs> Um, but it, it, it is totally a thing, and um, uh, I, I try to prepare students for that as best as I can. Um, and maybe I should offer up examples from my own life to help them sort of understand. Like if we think back to what I was talking about with my semester abroad in London, yeah. um, I made a. I was just so delighted to be in London for almost five months. I made a huge list on the and put it on the fridge door. Um, of our little flat and it was a list of all the things that I wanted to see in London and there were like 120 things on this list and I tried to do two of them every day my friends called me smoke and sneakers because I just because I did I did five to ten 15 miles of walking every day it was like oh smoke and sneakers what'd you see and I was like I saw this and this and the reason I'm, I'm mentioning that is when I came back from London I was happy to see home I was happy to be an undergraduate again at my home institution um, but that thrill that's the right word, that thrill of seeing something new every single day and not being bored, that you're not prepared for that because you come back home and you're bored. (laughs) (laughs) But when you're abroad, even when you're bored, you're not really bored because you're somewhere else where even the fire hydrants and the trees look a little different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, that's That's hard to adjust to. I mean, did you find that? Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. I I remember kind of a weird memory coming back. I spent a semester in Australia and not knowing what to call the back of the car. My friends came to pick me up. I'm like, (laughs) open the boot. And they're just, what? (laughs) And I I had to like pound on it like this, like the trunk. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) that is what I mean. So even simple things of like readjusting your language. to what I'll bet you felt that by calling it a trunk again, you sort of were leaving that part of you behind that, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I, I can appreciate that because because my wife is British, we, if you were ever to come to our house, you would, you would hear this strange mixture of American and British English. <laughs> St- we, we call the, we call it the boot, you know, we call it, we have to hoover the carpet, you know, so we have this strange sort of mixture of British and American English. So, I mean, it's a, it's a thing. I like it. <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about your study abroad leadership experience here on campus. You've you've led several courses for Augie students. Yeah. Can you talk about some of those? I love doing it. Um, uh, And I think it's safe to say, and perhaps it's good for students to sort of, you know, know this, that the amount of work that your professors put put into these courses is astronomical. It's just... um, it's so much work to do a study abroad uh, program. So any professor that's doing it, they're, they're immediately p- passionate and they care deeply about wanting to show you another part of the world that they themselves love very much. Um, and I, I just love that moment when we get on a plane and we're, 
we're sort of on our own. We're doing our, our own thing. And, you know, class is structured the way class is structured. And I love the challenge of doing study abroad. Um, I really enjoy so much the relationship that I can build with students in a study abroad atmosphere that I just can't hear. I mean, if you think about it, you know, we get up in the morning and, and we say, okay, we're going to go see Sagrada Familia in Barcelona. But first, Let's get coffee because, you know, that's what you do as a human being. So they see me tired and groggy, maybe unshaven. And we're, we might not necessarily be talking about things that are academic in nature. We might be talking about movies or music or, you know, you know what's happening back home. And I just really value the interaction I get with students during those moments. Mm-hmm. What locations have you brought students to? Well, let's see. i got to think about this. Um, I have taken stu- well, students to Barcelona. I've taken students to London, Oxford, Cambridge, Dublin, Belfast, Derry, Galway. Um, I feel like I'm missing a few things here. Um, that's those, that's the, the area that I've sort of covered. I'd, I'd love to take students to, um, to Berlin one day. Um, I'd, I've maybe the idea of taking students to Jerusalem because that's a city that I've gone to recently that is just amazing. So uh, I, at this point in time in my career, you know, I have about 15 or 20 years to go before I'm going to think seriously about retiring. So as long as <laughs> things remain the same, uh, you know, hopefully I'll, be, I'll have the chance to do 10 more study abroads. Was there a particular trip that you have really good memories about? something that happened or just like the group of students that you were with oh my goodness so when you were you were there you just knew like this is different this is special oh my goodness yeah i did a study abroad with will swart to barcelona in particular that the group of students they were just phenomenal i mean will swart and i neither of us wanted to come home we're like let's keep going you know (laughs) with this group of students but we all had to get on the you know, the plane reluctantly. Um, but this again gets to that idea of, you know, the bonds that you forge with students. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a, a, something called Distinguished Scholars where several years ago we would take a group of students, about 15 of them, abroad. And um, I did that two years in a row and that was uh, an amazing experience. Um, primarily because they were freshmen and I got to, ba- I got to really bond with them over the, the intensity of a spring break abroad. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they came home and I still had three more years where I'm bumping into them on campus. And I still remember when they graduated. Um, That was, it was as if they were like English majors to me. Yeah, that that special bond you get with students in your discipline. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Is there a on-campus course that you're really excited about or proud of or... If there's a, you talked about smoking sneakers and all of the, <laughs> the lists you need to cross off. What's the, the Dr. Hicks must take course list? Oh, that students would take from yeah. me? Oh, yeah. good Lord. <laughs> I don't know that I feel good, qualified to answer that one. Um, Maybe the one you're most excited to teach. Um, I think I think it's the courses that, um, oh, there's just, I, I'm fortunate in that what I teach, I, I love all of the courses that I teach. The ones that I find really satisfying are um, maybe the Civitas courses that I do where I co-teach with uh, Dr. Preston in the, in the history department where we talk about Irish history and literature. We recently did a course on the Holocaust, which was um, deeply powerful for me, and I know it was for the students because we've got the feedback already from them. Um, 
uh, a course that's really, I think the most challenging course that I teach for me as, as an academic is when I do uh, James Joyce's amazing novel, Ulysses, which was published in 1922. And that's the only book we read all semester. And uh, it's, I, there is no other course that I have to prepare more for than that. But the conversations that we have are just amazing. And every time that I teach that course, I think, okay, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to teach this again because it wipes me out. But then I get the feedback from the students about how this totally blew open their imaginations in ways that are going to last much longer than their time at Augustana. So I'll be teaching James Joyce's Ulysses, I think, in about three or four more years. <laughs> <laughs> Once you build back the energy to do it. That's right, yeah. <laughs> nice. So 2020 has obviously been uh, a difficult year for travel. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's been lots of hardships, lots of disappointments in a lot of areas, but this is one that both our office and Augustana students have really had to come to grips with. Yeah. So we're looking to the future. Hosanna. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a future study abroad course that you will be leading? Hell yes. <laughs> I want to be emphatic about that. I... Um, uh, I'm and I'm really excited about this. In January of 2021, uh, Dr. Swart and I are returning to Ireland, and we're going to go to Dublin, Belfast, Derry, and Galway, and we're going to study the Troubles and reconciliation. The last time that Dr. Swart and I taught this course together was 2009. Mm -hmm. So I um, I love working with Dr. Swart, and I'm just so excited to do this J term course with him again because by then it'll have been what, 12 or 13 years since I've done it. Uh, and then uh, we land, and then uh, like five weeks later, I do a spring break abroad to Barcelona with Dr. Danny Gerling. And Danny Gerling is in the English department with me, but he and I have never, ever taught a course together. And we are both really excited to do Barcelona. So um, it's going to be wonderful to see Barcelona. The last time I was there was 2016. And I've never traveled with Dr. Gerling. Dr. Gerling is a huge football fan. And when I say football, I mean soccer. And um, Barcelona is one of the great world teams. So he's actually got a whole lecture that he's going to do on football for us. So it's going to be great. <laughs> it sounds like a lot of yeah, fun. Yeah, it'll be fun. And then we'll go get coffee. <laughs> <laughs> if there is one thing you can tell a student to convince them why they should study abroad, what would you say? Oh, yeah, I actually, I have, I, I mentioned this to my freshmen every, uh, within the first week of them arriving at Augustana. So I might as well say what I say every year at the beginning of the academic year. Um, I know that you just got here to Augustana, and you're probably not thinking about leaving, but you really should because there will be no other time in your life, except between the ages of 18 and 22, there'll be no other time in your life when you can look at the globe and say, huh, I want to live in Paris for a semester, or I want to live in Tokyo for a semester, or Boy, I wonder what India is like, and you can go. Um, because that's the paradox of being a college student, because you have freedom, but you don't necessarily have money. <laughs> but after you graduate, it switches on you where you have money, but you don't have freedom, because after college, you'll have maybe two weeks of paid vacation, and that's it. So you have this slender band of time between the ages of 18 and 22 to really just pack your bags and go wherever you want to go. You're only limited by your imagination and your courage. 
On behalf of the dedicated work of our international programs team, Ben, Aaron, Wade, and Saul, and our incredible student ambassadors, Liz and Yusi, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen today. I hope that listening to Dr. Hicks has allowed you to imagine the excitement and intellectual stimulation that being in new places brings. Dr. Hicks's open heart and mind to new places, opportunities, and cultures has certainly enriched his life, and it is the International Programs Office's hope that when we can travel again, that our students can take advantage of this opportunity. Our next episode will continue to focus on study abroad experiences, this time from a student's perspective. Joining us is Elizabeth Lee, a junior from the Twin Cities, majoring in Spanish and modern foreign languages, minoring in English as a second language and biology. Elizabeth has studied abroad in India and Costa Rica so far, and we are certain that she's got more international adventures in her future. Until next time, keep exploring the world.